This is the Runtime FM Podcast. Tech moves fast. Web development moves fast. And we're up to the very second every single day. Let's do it. This is Runtime FM. And now your hosts, Otis Sutton and Case Eden. Hello, my name is Otis. I'm a developer from New Zealand, and joining me today is Case. Case, would you like to tell us a bit about yourself? Hi, I'm Case. I'm a close friend, ex-co-worker of Otis's, um, also a developer from New Zealand. Currently work at Midworld. I'm very interested in all things tech, but mainly machine learning, AI, stuff like that. And yeah, big interest in biology as well. Fantastic. All right, today we're going to start off with an easy one, uh, talking about 2023 uh, tech predictions. And I actually think that's a really nice segue there, Case, uh, talking about your interest in AI. How have you felt about all the recent chat GPT, and I suppose to an extent, Copilot as well? Um, are you interested in that space? Um, yeah, 100%. Um, talking about chat GPT, over, I think, yesterday and over the last few weeks, I've been heavily using it and pretty much everything day-to-day questions like the level of um i guess information and summary you can get from chat gpt in less than five seconds and what would take you you know half an hour maybe to collate multiple pages of info and put it into a you know human readable format it's actually insane um yeah general information questioning i haven't tried it with tech yet and asked about that stuff but i've seen some success on stuff like Twitter, with people doing exactly that. But um, yeah, just anything from you know, content generation for websites to, um, I've even seen you do like you know code snippets and stuff as well. But yeah, I think it's absolutely insane. And I think we've hit that kind of singularity where it's just going to get faster and faster and more and more tools are going to be released. So yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, so I, yeah, I've, I'm not, hugely in the AI space, uh, mm. largely, I think, because like historically I've tried AI tools. And when I say historically, I'm talking like two or three years ago, mm-hmm. to be fair, uh, and they have ultimately been a bit of a letdown. Um, mm. So I think I've sort of avoided that space for some time now. But uh, recently I have actually hopped in and had a bit of a play with it. Uh, I've found it to be really useful uh, for as as like a rubber duck, essentially. Mm. um not not so much in terms of like pulling code snippets out of it but in terms of fleshing out ideas Mm. uh so if you sort of plug in like uh what was i was asking about the other day i was asking it i was actually asking it about podcast players Mm. and sort of like what what is the feature set that you would expect in like your everyday podcast player and it was able to give me like a really detailed list um of all of the sort of expected features that one, that a user might uh, might might expect, and obviously I'm, I'm recently into podcasting. Uh, that's not something I'm like heavily you know knowledgeable mm-hmm. about, and there were certainly things in there that I didn't know about. Um, so I think for something like that, it's really powerful. Yeah, uh, I'm, it's it's just crazy how quickly you can get the information that would have taken you so long to scour reddit twitter you know articles and kind of put together and learn so much about something so quickly exactly yeah i totally totally agree and then the other thing i sort of wanted to ask you about and this is something i haven't played with at all uh, Mm -hmm. largely because the company i'm working for have essentially said we're not allowed to um is copilot so Mm. i've i've been following it pretty closely uh the general feeling i get from a lot of the developers that I sort of follow online and keep up to date with, is it's less less useful as like a tool to like solve a problem in its entirety, but it's very, very useful as a tool to like streamline that boilerplate part of the process. And, and yeah, sort of where where it actually uh, is useful is it's, it's less of a, this is how it's sort of been explained and i've sort of found myself agreeing with 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 these notions as it's less of a problem solving tool and more of a uh tool that accelerates the developer and speeds them up yeah 100 i think it really fits its name well with copilot instead of you know what might be in a few years just pilot where it does it all yeah yeah um yeah maybe a more fitting name would be uh i don't know github intern who writes boilerplate (laughs) yeah 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 
I'm um so I was I was listening to a podcast the other day and apparently this year they're launching Hey Copilot, uh, similar to like, Hey Siri. Yeah. Um and it's actually gonna be like audio driven oh, wow. um like code editing. Uh, which obviously from like an accessibility standpoint yes, is going to yeah. be really cool. Um, earlier this year, I was looking at someone who had actually moved their entire workflow to be like audio driven and they had the editor set up to handle that. And it was, it was a little bit odd, but it was, it was a really interesting way to, you know, sort of edit code and, and work like that. Yeah. Um, recently, actually, one of my friends had a, a work injury. He works in the sheds here in New Zealand and um, he completely crushed his pinky finger um, and actually faced nearly amputating it. And I was going through like how I'd feel in that situation. And oh, I was shattered thinking about the potential implications on my career um, with losing an entire digit. But yes, seeing stuff like Copilot being, or what was it called? Um, the... Siri so Google, hey right? co-pilot hey like, co-pilot very similar to hey siri yeah they oh the the pressure off my shoulders for um, <laughs> having to keep all 10 of my digits that's um it's record here yeah so i definitely think um in the ai space it's just going to be continued growth right like yeah. it's here to, it's here to stay i think we're yeah. all we're all pretty comfortable it's, saying that yeah um i mentioned it earlier and i actually read about it and it fits into a lot of the stuff that i've talked to you before about um i don't know if you've heard about the technological singularity You've mentioned it before, but I, I would probably be good to refresh me on it. Yes, I've mentioned it before, but I've actually not really understood it. Um, but over these past holidays, I was reading some articles about it. And it's pretty simple. It's the idea that as AI progresses, you'll get to a point where the AI will be able to aid in making itself better. So then obviously mm -hmm. version you know two after that would be slightly better, which means it would be faster at improving itself again. Then version three would be even faster and you get that exponential graph where it goes up so quickly that by the time you're at 10, it's almost instant that it can improve itself again. And you get this explosion where the um, AI improves itself so fast that it goes from like really good, you know, kind of mimicking human action to um, Terminator Skynet. Yeah, and that's the yeah. technological singularity, which, yeah, I, I think if it's saying to speed up now and we're already seeing it, yeah, it's only going to get insanely fast until, you know, somewhere in the next five, 10 years. It's just we're all in um, fallout territory. Yeah, because <laughs> obviously that's, uh, that's a concern that comes up a lot. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Sort of, you see on the, yeah, you see a lot of people get worried about sort of Skynet and the Terminator, but I think like I'm, I'm fairly confident we're not going to get there. I'm hoping we're not going to get there. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. But in terms of what it means for developers and their jobs, uh, there, I see a lot of people getting worked up about that. Uh, me personally, I feel super safe in my job. Like yeah. I've, I've, I've seen sort of what these tools do when you sort of even just minorly increase the scope of the problem yeah. um, and they just sort of fall over sideways. Mm. Uh, how do you feel though? Do you think that our jobs are in a sort of threatened or do you think we've still got a long way to go? I think we've still got a long way to go. Um, very thankful for that. But one thing that I think is, is insane is that um, over the last, I guess, few months, I don't know if you've seen this, the whole ban AI art um, that's kind of exploded mm. across the internet. Yeah. Um, and I think I had a conversation with some friends um, a few weeks ago about how if you were to go back like two years ago and you were to ask, hey, which job do you think AI would be able to completely kind of phase out first? I don't think anyone would pick something as um, creative kind of creative, and, mm. oh, you know, yeah, something that a human you feel like would need to produce would be the first one to go. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think it's crazy um, in terms of, yeah, the whole ai art stuff um you know just yesterday i was using uh, online kind of ai brand and design uh, generators and they worked like you know better than the fiverr artists that i pay for so yeah that's saying something i think yeah that's yeah actually i think you raised some really good points that would have yeah. probably would have been one of the last things i would have said um yeah. would sort of be replaced by ai so i think you do raise some really good points there and mm. i think there's definitely some some food for thought there yeah Cool. So the next thing I want to talk about is the exponential rust growth we have seen mm. um, lately. So it's sort of, I think it really, and to be fair, this could be largely because I exist sort of in this front end space and the sort of web development space mm -hmm. and I'm not privy or not, not I don't go looking for sort of news and other, and other dev circles, but uh, I would say it certainly came to a head with Vercel um, at Next.js Conf uh, 
announcing the sort of Webpack successor uh, and that being Turbopack and one of their sort of their big selling points uh, and that they were sort of, I think, hoping to get people excited about was that that is going to be written entirely in Rust. Uh, we've also seen the Linux kernel as uh, shipping Rust uh, is sort of packed in by default. Um, I'm a cool. little bit more hazy on those details, but I know that that is coming and we've just seen a huge uptick and what sort of two, three years ago would have been libraries written in Go, um, being sort of either ported over or or just written in Rust from the ground up. Um, mm. Sort of what are your thoughts on that? Um, I haven't followed anything in kind of the, I guess, Rust news in general, mm -hmm. and especially anything to do with um, front-end build tools uh, in a while now. But um, yeah, I think that's saying something when you see something like Go starting to get um, kind of taken over a bit by by Rust and also being, I think it's a big thing as well, being kind of standardly uh, put into Linux kernel. It's saying something. Mm, that's that's huge. Like, yeah, yeah I, just for anything. Yeah, I think I think that's that's sort of really telling. And it's it's the the reaction from the community has really, really surprised me. Um so we've What's sort of been? seen a lot a lot of people have got quite excited, mm. but I have seen like a high level of resistance as well. Um one of sort of the the louder sort of advocates of that is um theo brown from ping labs and he it's not that he's it's not that he's saying people shouldn't learn rust it's that he's saying that when you are sort of in the startup space and the goal is to move quickly uh things like the typescript node.js ecosystem allow you to do that mm. um and it's it's sort of much easier to prototype out ideas um, and like a TypeScript space than it is in a Rust space. Now, the points he's making are really, really like they're, they're fine. Like I don't, yeah. I don't disagree with them. I can totally see the logic uh, in what he's saying. Uh, he's really coming from that startup mentality, mm. um, and like his, like it's sort of evident in a lot of what he says. His drivers are speed, you know, like like speed yeah. to iterate, speed to deliver. So I totally get what he's saying. What has surprised me is not not necessarily not necessarily him it's sort of the larger javascript community and how they've reacted to mm. some of what he's saying and there's sort of there's, there's this resistance right to like to embrace this like this new language and this new tooling and i i don't know where it comes from i mean is, I'm, potentially it's because it's a paradigm shift rust is different you know um yeah. you're you're moving into the compiler space um like the type checking in Rust, uh, it's it's nothing like um, TypeScript in the sense that it's not it's not optional. You know, mm -hmm. like you're not you're not adding it where it feels right and overriding it where it doesn't. Like yeah. you've, you've you've got to make it work. Um, mm -hmm. So it's 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 been really interesting for me, sort of like an outside looking in. I've done a bit of Rust. Um, I think it's really pleasant uh, mm -hmm. a, as a language. I totally understand why people and sort of that that can compiled language space are drawn to it interesting um yeah i think i can kind of i take a stab at maybe why there's so much hesitance from the community which it, when when i make the argument and then come back at the end like it doesn't make sense um and it's <laughs> it's the whole idea that i think like i don't know if you face this probably not you're into everything tech uh, every 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 day after work you're on github star and 10 things a minute um I think it's whole idea of, you know, I don't want to have to relearn my job, um, which doesn't make sense when you look at JavaScript and its ecosystem. I mean, come on, you're doing that every other month anyway. Mm. But I think there's just that initial uh, resistance because it's kind of like the devil you know. Like, I, I can churn out whatever the, the and learn the next JavaScript framework, but a whole kind of language shift? No, no, man. I think you might be right there as well. Um, one of the things that sort of uh, came through quite clearly for me when I was watching Next.js Conf was like there was this real adversion to sort of the 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 tagline that the the web the webpack successor, mm, uh, and yeah. it was because people people didn't want to learn new tool, you know, like people yeah, have spent exactly. five six years <laughs> as, yeah, learning craft, learning webpack as well. Like holy shit! Like imagine having to switch everything you know to just learn. The same complicated tool, but just slightly different. 
Exactly. And, and I tell you, I tell you, speaking as someone who, like, uh, to be fair, I've I've been very lucky in the sense that it's been a long time since I've worked with Webpack in any sort of real depth. Mm. But uh, around Webpack 2, uh, I the role I was in at the time, we, for whatever reason, we, we migrated to Webpack and we had uh, quite a bit of... Not not custom tooling, just just really clearly defined constraints around the CMS platform we were using, uh, and sort of how we got our front end to interact with that. Yeah, I I I dug, dove deep at about Webpack two, and I had this really innate understanding of how it worked, and it, it took me weeks, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be told like, oh yeah, that's all useless now, yeah, do you it know, again. like you need to learn this new thing. I, yeah. yeah I, I'd be pretty pissed. I'm <laughs> exactly, be honest. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think that that is really fair. Mm-hmm. One thing, and this, this is sort of a, uh, a, a prediction of mine and it may or may not come true is I actually think we're going to see an uptick in go usage. And the reason I say that is I think what we're going to see is we're going to see a lot of developers sort of move over to, or not move over, experiment with this Rust ecosystem and sort of these compiler time languages and this like strict type checking and and all of this sort of stuff. And they're going to they're gonna be interested and they're going to like it and they're going to go like, well, like I can build like really fast APIs with this. But they're also going to sort of go, it's like, it's slow, you know, like I'm, I'm having to do this memory management. I'm having to have this, this understanding of this borrow checker. And I actually think we're going to see them swing back to go, which don't get me wrong. There's like, there's quite a bit of boilerplate associated with go, but there's no memory management. Yeah. It's the middle ground of like the same thing that Russ kind of does, but without like the hard learning. Exactly. And speaking as someone who's been digging into go quite a bit recently, uh, the jump from go, from TypeScript to Go is much much softer than the jump from TypeScript to Rust. Oh, really? um, yeah, no. So I I honestly sometimes find myself writing TypeScript in my Go files like accidentally. Yeah, you yeah. Know, like I like it's I'm so it, it, it's it's to be fair to maybe maybe I'm just bad, <laughs> but like <laughs> it's it's familiar enough. Yeah, you know, like it's like and even as I've been learning it, like. Like I find reading it very idiomatic. Mm. Like I can read it and go like, oh, yes, wait, I can see um, yeah. see what's happening there. Yeah, I agree. Um, and there's, man, there's lots of quality of life to go. Mm. Um, as and, and there will be people who will absolutely disagree with that. But mm. like my experience with Go is there is just so much quality of life baked in. Mm. So that's sort of my prediction. I think we're going to see sort of, we're going to overcorrect to Rust. Um, in wake of things like the Vercel announcements and stuff like that. Uh, obviously, Dino's built in Rust as well. I think that's got people quite interested. Mm. Um, and, like, let's be honest, as the JavaScript community, uh, we're kind of notorious for using the hottest language, not necessarily the right language <laughs> for the job. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, I think in the case of Dino and um, TurboPack, Rust is absolutely the right call. Mm. Like, um, you're talking about, like, like really, like, like trying to squeeze as much optimization as possible out. Um, and these are sort of big corporate projects that they want to last for a long time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I actually think for a lot of what people want to do, Go is actually probably the more correct language for the tasks people are going to be, or the problems people are going to be yeah. trying to solve. So yeah. I think we're going to see a swing back. I'm totally prepared for that prediction to be wrong. Yeah. Um, but if I've got it right, I'm going to be pretty proud of myself because yeah. like, it's banking on like a couple of trends over yes. the course of the year. Yeah, um, it, it would be a wild guess uh, or bet um, if at the you know, end of next year the graphs for Rust, you know, increase in popularity and then suddenly Go just takes over instead. Imagine yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, like, and, and I like, it might not happen, it probably won't happen. I, I almost feel confident, like obviously I'm confident enough to say it here, you know, like I think, yeah, yeah. I think it has merit. One of the other things sort of I wanted to talk about coming off the back of the Rust conversation and the reason this sort of nicely comes off the back of the Rust conversation is a lot of this tooling has been built in Rush and Rust. I have seen a massive uptick in developer tooling um, and like developer experience. And I'm talking about things like Vite. Uh, I'm talking about mm-hmm. TurboPack. We're seeing uh, we're seeing a lot of work done in the dev tool space. So obviously, I've been doing a lot of work with Dino 
lately uh and their not just their like their security and their sandboxing mechanisms which are fantastic by the way mm. but even like their sort of their flag their flagship um sort of front end framework or their answer to next um which is fresh like they've obviously spent a lot of time uh working to integrate the preact so yeah it's i think i think dev tooling uh has has largely came come forward i've seen some really interesting um sort of developments in like the digital ocean have uh they haven't released they've extended their cli tool i forget what it's called off the top of my head uh but they've been using the charm libraries uh the folks behind uh glow which is like a markdown renderer for your terminal uh skate which is a key value store um that you can access from your terminal it's really nice yeah, by the way. Cool. I've, been, I've been playing with that a lot lately mm. um and they they build things like uh bubble gum and soft serve but they're all sort of related to cool names yeah they're really cool and they're, they're, yeah. their branding is on point man there's always um, you see like a repo with a sick name and you just admire it for a second yeah yeah absolutely um <laughs> google's uh google has this really cool thing that lets you it's actually insane I, i've tried to mess around with it but it seems super complicated and like one of the open source tools that like three people on a team of like 50 use but it's uh it's called bubble wrap and it takes like pwas uh and generates an ios and android full-on apk or whatever the ios version is that you can oh wow really yeah yeah, yeah. it's kind of like react native but going from like a pwa to those um source files I have it starred and in a readme somewhere on one of my projects, uh, one of my PWA templates. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it just seems like an absolute pain to work with because obviously going from something like a PWA to native code bases uh, without a framework that you're working in is pretty crazy. Just insane tooling around. Yeah, I've um speaking like even to that, uh Tori, I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which has been like a Rust, yeah, again Rust, a Rust-based sort of competitor to Electron. Mm. They have so they've I think they've just shipped 1.0 and oh. as part of that, they included a uh, mobile targets. So cool. iOS and Android targets. Now it is essentially a web view. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's not like React Native in the sense that like React Native actually renders native yeah, components. Yeah. Again, assuming, and to be fair, I haven't looked into this, assuming they are using the same strategies they're using on the uh, desktop platform, uh, they essentially, what they do is, so like with Electron, you basically ship the Chrome runtime, mm -hmm. right? Like you're basically bundling the Chrome runtime up into your application and shipping it to the user. Uh, what they actually do is they provide like a very, very thin wrapper and then they target your operating system's native web renderer. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you're on Windows, it's whatever ships with Edge. If you're oh, on okay. Apple, it's whatever ships with Safari. If you're on, uh, like a, I guess, like a Chromebook, I don't know if they even target that. It would be, you know, the Chrome runtime. Um, so assuming they're doing that on your mobile devices as well, it's you're getting like these in terms of like your app size it's near native mm. you know like you're getting much much smaller app sizes yeah. um because you're not bundling an entire browser runtime just like a, a, a little uh kind of layer slash interface between the native one exactly cool. and they um they expose like a global object similar to the window is my understanding mm. which allows you to like interact with um like native apis yeah uh they have apparently quite a verbose plugin system um again i think in that instance you do reach for rust from what i've heard a lot of what comes out of the like like basically with what comes out of the box you're not often having to reach for rust or sort of have an understanding of it you can get by as a typescript or javascript developer so that's that's really that's exciting so cool. it's it's cool to see some competition in that space yeah um obviously we've got flutter um again which sort of competes with react native i have you used Flutter? no uh well that's not entirely true i've done a small project with flutter when the previous company i was working with were considering it i actually think they decided to go with it uh oh. i had left i had left by then though yeah to be fair i didn't like i didn't really delve into flutter it was more dart yeah um, and to be fair i quite liked dart I hate to say it but it kind of felt like what javascript was meant to be mm. <laughs> like in like a lot of ways and i know we've got typescript now and like we're using that but there was i think it was and correct me if i'm wrong because it's been a while but i think one of the things i liked about dart was there were less falsy 
values. Like we, I don't think we had null undefined. I don't think we had null and undefined. I think we essentially had like nil. And like, it sounds like a really minor thing, but it was a lot of the rough edges like, yeah. removed from JavaScript. <laughs> the Whereas, falsy charts take, take exactly. Out. Yeah, yeah. Whereas obviously with TypeScript, those still all exist. Yeah. You know, like you, to be fair, TypeScript like, like tries to tell you about them, but they're all still there. Mm. you know like the other day i'm um, just the other day like i got caught up on something i you know um I, I like strict equality i was doing you know like if strictly not undefined you know yeah. and i got pinged on null and i was just like why you know i was yeah. like why, why do we have two you know yeah. um and i didn't want to like you know just if not because then it was like because zero was completely valid in this case mm. so it was like i didn't want to just you know like um just do like the falsy if not not or if not um, because that would have caught zero and I didn't want to catch zero. Um, and I think I ended up going with, you know, the, what's the question mark, question mark, instead of the, oh, bar, yeah, bar, yeah. whatever yeah. it's called. Yeah. Like I, I, I did something with that and I was, <laughs> you know, like, official a, devs, question mark, question yeah, mark, yeah, yeah. Bar. <laughs> yeah. I might have to have a look at what it was called. Yeah. But the um, wackest names, they're very yeah. difficult to remember. It's like, what? Oh no, I'm not going to attempt all that. Clown. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast today and they were referring to something as bang, bang, you know, Ooh. for like the, double casting um Jesus. Like a, like a, yeah basically casting something to a boolean and i was like man like like it made sense to me but it just goes to show you like uh, like terminology is, is yeah um, as, as js diffs in particular we don't really use it has, <laughs> has has tech lingo gone too far when you're talking about bang bang nullish coalesces and it's like jesus yeah Christ. yeah exactly um my chair is gonna start floating you keep saying this stuff <laughs> So yeah, sorry. And sorry, I was just gonna, I was just gonna come back around to that what I'd seen with DigitalOcean. Mm. Um, so yeah, so they they brought into these um, these Go libraries, which are largely uh, situated around like creating these really pleasant uh, TUI or terminal user interface experiences. So what's they called TUI? TUI, yeah, TUI or terminal oh, okay, user okay, interface. Okay. Yeah, the, yeah. Um, I was and, thinking the number two with a Y on the end. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and so they've brought in and they've they've like shipped these interfaces to help you manage your DigitalOcean nodes. And I thought that was really cool. Hmm. That's like a, a real step um, in sort of their dev tool. And I'm seeing more companies ship like their own CLIs for power users. I'm but, surprised DigitalOcean didn't even have one before, to be honest. No, they, they did. Oh, they, okay. they, so it's, it's the same CLI. It's it's a new version of it. What it's Essentially, they've like they've gone that extra mile to add a lot of sugar you know and to like to really improve the experience and and i guess the tool as a whole you know um and i was really interested i was watching a talk uh, around the tool and the developer who um or not like there was a team working on it but mm -hmm. and he was saying like it was it was an interesting series of constraints because they obviously had people using the cli quote unquote headless you know, like as part of like automated scripts. Yeah. Um, so they had to retain all that functionality yeah, so it could be true. used for scripting. But they also wanted to be like, right, like when you're not scripting, let's give you this really pleasant logical interface yeah. that's gonna help you discover the tool. So yeah, I've seen I've seen more companies shipping CLIs, but but the reason I want to talk about DigitalOcean in particular is because I've noticed that they're doing a really good job of educating their users. And how they're doing that is in DigitalOcean right now, if you're in the admin interface and you wanna spin up a new droplet, which is the uh, equivalent of like an mm. EC2 yeah, on yeah. AWS, you like, you go through and you provision it, you say, you know, you say, this is where I want it to be, these yeah. are the specs I want it to have, blah, blah, blah. And then there's like a create button, but there's also a create via command line um, option. And if oh, you okay. click that, it spits out like the, the CLI steps yeah, that yeah. you need to do. And it's, it's, it's such a minor thing. But it's, yeah. it's an example of a company educating their users who want to be that that bit more performant, you know, mm. that like that that sort of that more power user vibe. Yeah. And I really like I felt I felt so strongly about it that I felt like it needed a call out, you know, like I was like, <laughs> oh, that's really impressive. And I don't know how long they've been doing it. Um, to be fair, I've only just hopped back on DigitalOcean. Uh, that, that might be old news, but I just really liked how they were tackling that problem and driving people towards that tool lane. And I, I just thought that was cool. I thought that was like a really cool way to educate your users. Yeah, that's you know? a good point. Yeah, not make them sit through a tutorial or a whole doc well, page like, like you have to. I was reflecting on it and I was like, like, how, like how, do, how do most of us learn CLIs? Like YouTube 
man pages, you know, like obscure blogs. I just push it until it breaks. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that, that, no. And Probably I was like, that's, that's a really cool example of that problem. Yeah. Yeah, that's a nice way of doing it. Yeah, so I think I definitely think we're going to say sorry. I've sort of, I've sort of like we've moved away from like making predictions, but I think we're going to see like an uptick. <laughs> we will in, see this. Yeah, in those dev tooling, I think we're just going to see more and more of it. I really want to see an uptick in companies educating their users and moving them towards those those tools. And similar, like with Rust and Go, we're definitely going to see an uptick in Rust. I'm super confident. Um, I think it's a given, uh, and I'm hoping we see an uptick in Go. Uh, because that would mean I was right. One, yeah, of course, that's the most important <laughs> thing. Be correct. <laughs> but, um, well, one thing I also, when you're talking about um, front-end frameworks with the whole preactive tools and mm. how they're kind of picking up, um, uh, I, I started using um, Quick. I don't know if you heard it. Yep, yeah, 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 yep. So one of the guys I work with is Quick Obsessed. Uh, oh, same, I've heard yeah, so much guy. about Quick. Yep. It's insane. I have the exact same dude at my work who's is going, going bananas over it. So I gave it a go. Um, I was actually looking at like the page load time, what's they called? Like um, time, uh, to, time to first paint. Time to first paint, yeah. That, um, yep, yep. And Quick was really, really highly rated. I was like, oh, this would be a good chance to, you know, two birds with one stone. And yep. so I use that now for delivery.dev, shameless plug. Um, <laughs> which, <laughs> uh, but one thing, I was just, you know, writing code last night and I accidentally pressed some keybind and it opened up like, um, you know, the the Chrome like inspect element thing where you can kind of hover over an item and then, you know, look at the elements yes. in the DOM. Yes. Um, yep, yep. I pressed some keybind that gave me that sort of view. And I was like, huh, and I hovered over something, I clicked it. And in VS code, it opened up the exact component that I clicked on, like the line of code for that thing. And I was like, yes. man, that's so cool. Like so many times have I gone to, you know, uh, try to you know investigate a bug. Um, at work and obviously not know this area or this page in our code base and spent like 15 minutes drilling down through components and um you know different conditionals to get to this yep. tiny yeah, three-liner component where this thing actually exists and i was like man that's such a such a nice time save um but yeah i, was, I should have ran up earlier i was just thinking about it before uh super cool stuff yeah. like that, just improving dev experience yeah no and i think you're absolutely right um i was working on something recently it might have been a next site uh i think it probably was uh and again yeah i got uh, an error um sort of rendered in my browser i was able to click through and it just opened up the component and vs code yeah. uh so cool. really useful right yes like uh really really nice way to sort of drill down into that context but well, you're not even doing it right really yeah. nice way to just be put in to the correct exactly exactly and and get going so no i think I think that's that's really cool. Um, seeing as we're talking about uh, front-end frameworks and sort of, I guess, more largely sort of that space, uh, mm. one thing I think we're going to see, uh, and we're already seeing, right, is a, a just a continued uptick in um, serverless rendering. Uh, we're seeing bids for sort of serverless databases. So I don't know if you saw Cloudflare announced D1, um, yeah. which is essentially their serverless database in the cloud. Uh, it's backed by SQL Lite. Um, I have been uh, very in the SQL Lite space recently. Yeah. Um, I'm quite interested in it. There is a project that's come out of fly.io. Uh, to be fair, it's an open source project. They are funding it, but they are in no way sort of controlling it. Anyone can use it. Uh, called LiteFS, which is the first uh, sort of sizable attempt i have seen to uh basically take to basically be able to um what's the word i'm looking for synchronize uh multiple sql light instances and it's mm. uh in that bid right to basically have databases close to your users yeah um because a lot of the a lot of what we're seeing right now um particularly in like the front end space uh dino deploy again just been using dino a lot lately mm. uh dino deploy have edge uh deployments built in so your you know your site that you deploy there is um being rendered on the edge basically as close as possible to the user mm. but if you're interacting with a database like i am uh my database is in san francisco yeah you know? so and to be fair you know it's one thing for my like edge server to contact that database which is you know relatively fast they're on you know fairly fat pipes mm. um versus like somebody's you know cell phone on a shitty 3g connection yeah 
it's still not as fast as it could be, right? Yes. Like if I could have a replicated database and my site being served from, you know, like yeah. Oregon or, or Asia, where you know, wherever that user is, we're just we're just cutting down um that time. And again, <laughs> one of the cool things about SQL Lite in particular is because it's file-based, uh, you're like with uh, other larger, more sort of traditional databases, you have sort of that network layer um, where you like communicate with them via some like interface, you know, um, you sort of query in and get data out, whereas um, through like some proxy essentially, um, whereas like this is like you read from your from your disk essentially, like mm-hmm. it's, it's a file right there. Yeah. Um, so it, there's just, there's like almost no latency. Yeah. But but there's obviously latency if it's, if the database is on the other side of the world. Yes. Yeah. So I think, yeah, we're, we're gonna see websites being deployed to the edge. Like, like we're there, we know it's best practice. Like yeah. we wanna do it. Platforms are making it easier and easier and easier, you know, like um, Vercel, Netlify, they're there they all have ways of doing that like i said dino it's just built in um it's the default it may even be the default on those other platforms to be completely honest with you Mm. um i'm just i'm just so in the dino deploy space right now Um, (laughs) so yeah i think i think we're definitely going to see um more and more bids to now that we've got like the websites there to get the databases there as well we're seeing that right like we're seeing planet scale the mysql the sort of serverless mysql um company a lot of people really like them uh, i really like them i'm not a big database guy but what i've seen um from them is fantastic they are working on uh some sort of method for for sort of sharding and replication is my understanding uh, like i said Fly.io are are big on sql light um I think there's a project called Neon, which is like serverless Postgres. I don't know a lot about that, but I definitely this year, maybe maybe we won't be there by the end of the year, but but this year I see us like I see us moving the databases to the edge, basically. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Like along with the websites. Yeah, interesting. What what are some other kind of latency causing parts of, you know, a normal stack? And will we see those technologies to get moved there as well? Yeah, see, like that's a good one because yeah, one... I mean, every, every piece of cloud architecture, generally, every, every piece of it probably get efficiency bonus um, if you moved it closer and closer to the user, right? Like, yes, I'm not yep. sure how something like a like a, a load balancer move it closer to them would that be? Would, you know, would that warrant enough of a, a boost? to you know, invest well, the time in that stuff. That's totally relevant, right? It's like there's like if you're low bar- load balancers on the other side of the world <laughs> exactly. and it's you like had it yeah. to then be pointed to the server next door, it's like, wow. Like, well, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You, you, like from here, you go to your, I don't know, if it's, I'm just saying the other side of the world for us in New Zealand is what, London. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you go, go to all the way to the UK, take your load balancer, it goes, oh shit. His, his da- database is on the edge in Australia. It goes all the way back to Australia and then it comes back to us. Yeah, so no, I would I would say that that uh, that absolutely I, I don't know enough about yeah. that sort of stuff to know if that's, no, that's really how they're doing that. It's been years since I've set up a load balancer myself. You know, like I feel like so much of that is baked in now to yeah. these sort of static site. Uh, and to be fair, like that's not to say people aren't doing load balancers anymore. Of course they are. It's to say that the tooling I use. It's it's very ephemeral and like the sense that like we we sort of have these like these Jamstack orientated providers, mm. you know, and we just like we feed them a repo. They have like a node runtime. They know how to build the app, or in the case of something like like Next with SSR, they know mm. how to you know to like render that route when they need to. And I don't have to think about it. Yeah, you know, like I don't know how many nodes they're spinning up. Yeah, in yeah. the background, I don't I don't know any of that information. So. Yeah, like uh, you're absolutely right. That it's, is, it's that the, is a problem that needs not, to be not, solved. Not my How it's is. being solved, I've got no idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like there's there's no really need to care about it. Even for me, like I know we do a lot of our own, I guess, setup and configuration of you know those sorts of services like our load balancers and all that. But yeah, it's again, it's it's also I don't do it, so <laughs> I don't really care either. Um, but yeah, interesting to see if it just kind of pushes the buck to the next uh module in the cloud architecture that needs to be loaded on the edge and i think that's it right yeah like it's like for every edge problem we solve it's whatever the next thing down the chain is that then needs to be pushed out to the edge like almost think of it as like you've got like this cluster in the middle and then you've got this cluster on the outside you know they're like abacus 
Yeah, like, you slide it like, across. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah like you slide one. like one across and then you got to slide the next <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah. It's just like you just keep doing that yeah. um, until eventually everything will be on the yeah, edge, yeah. Um, hopefully. I think back, you know, even like five, six years ago, and I just have to think about so much less. Yeah. You know, yes, like yeah. I have so many less problems um, with deployments and hosting and things like that. And it, like it's a great time to be alive, yes. you know. So I think that's that's really, really cool. One thing I wanted to sort of talk about, uh, and it's and I, to be fair, it's partly because we've been talking about this stuff, um, is like I said, I've recently uh, been brought into Fresh, uh, which is, like I said, Dino's answer to sort of Next.js. What is incredible about Fresh is, so first of all, it's it's in Dino, so you don't, you don't have to think about TypeScript compilation. That is baked into the Dino binary, you know? you like if you've got dino installed in your system you can create you know index.ts uh you know define some interfaces define some function and run it you know mm. just just verbatim you don't mm. need node ts or or mpx or whatever whatever all those wrappers were called you know to yeah. like to convert it to javascript first like it just runs they've they've gone further than that so when you so to be fair you have to be deploying to their platform dino deploy but when you deploy they they have basically what's called just-in-time compilation. And how that works is when... Because you, you're writing JSX. Like, JSX has to be compiled, mm. you know, or TSX. You know, and um, so when you deploy your code and a consumer hits your that endpoint or that website, it, uh, it effectively compiles that view, that JSX TypeScript view, real-time and delivers it to the user and then it has some some heavy caching strategies in place so it's not it's not doing that effectively every single time but the point i'm trying to make is there's no tooling so i have no compiler you know like there's no vite there's no webpack there's like there's 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 nothing it's what all is, gone what does the I just, look like like in terms of like if you actually wrote that stuff would it just come out as like TypeScript? There's, there's, TypeScript, there's, like TSX. You know, you're, you're going to love this. Today, I created a file in there in that repo, and I went to add it to the Git ignore, and I realized I didn't have a Git ignore. <laughs> That's insane. Because I have no node modules. Yeah, yeah. No, no dist folder. No, like nothing. That's crazy. It's man. I like. I am sold. Like I am so sold. Like I'm like. The other day, I like. I was working on something for work, and I like. I had to install like an npm package, and I was like, right, like kill the build server, find the package on npm, like npm i, yeah, like, get it in there, start the build server again, and point it. And I was just like, oh, this is awful. Um, whereas like in like Dino uh, and like well in Fresh, but more precisely in Dino, I just paste the URL in. And it's, yeah. it's like go man and i'm just like like why why are we what here are, with like node like just do that what an, an insane out of the box type of um thought process it is when you see everyone is racing to make the next build tool that's you know faster, faster. by x milliseconds and this guy's just like nah yeah they're just like you nah, need one like, you know what yeah no, yeah we'll, 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 we'll save time no, no, no. not in and <laughs> how long it takes to build by but by dev time for not having to worry about it and what we'll, we'll is it for you? That's insane. It's, it's phenomenal. So like, so like, I push my code, I go to my browser and I refresh, and it's it's in production. It's there. Yeah. You know, there's no CID. And to be fair, you could probably have one for LinkedIn. There's no CI/CD set. Now, I could I could write tests and things like that, but it, like I, I'm not because they're my personal <laughs> project. And like, oh, just be honest with you, I'm not on the run on um, the just personal projects, buddy. Yeah. Great <laughs> fraud. It's just a whole mind shift um, in terms of like how you work. So that's fresh. And then Dino itself, it packages in a linter and a test suite. And and you don't like you don't configure the linter. It's just the Dino rules. Mm. So you're not like going out to find that stuff. It's it's just baked in and they've made those decisions for you. Mm. And yeah, like may, maybe, maybe some of the syntax you don't love, you know? And like maybe you would love your other framework XYZ that does this one thing in a neat way. You don't have the decision fatigue associated with that. Yeah. You just you just get what you're given and you actually focus on the problem, you know, not the tooling around the problem. And that makes so much sense if you look at the direction that a lot of these companies um and like SaaS providers have shifted in the last few years with like um 
Netlify and Next and stuff, just like removing the entire thought process of like your deploy pipelines for you. It's like, why not go to the next pain point for developers locally, which is, you know, your build process and just like keep going. Yeah. Then yeah. soon, soon Chat GPT will be writing the code as well and we'll be. <laughs> we'll be we'll obsolete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slipping <laughs> martinis yeah, somewhere. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think I'm not bold enough to say like, 2023 it's the year of no more like no more compilers or no more build steps but i think i think 2023 is the year we we challenge that narrative and we start thinking about it to be 100 clear it's not to say there isn't a compilation step it's to say that they've moved it onto their yeah their platform when you think about it so one of the something i've been thinking about a bit lately is felt um largely because felt kit 1.0 has been released and like spelt spelt is the compiled javascript language right mm. so what if spelt kit had a hosting provider that had the spelt com compiler built in and you just pushed your spelt project up as is and it did this just-in-time compiling of the views. Mm -hmm. Now, now I, I don't know enough about SvelteKit, right? Like, the compiler might be slow. That might not be feasible. Yeah. It might not be able to do it page by page. But, like, but the thought is there, right? Like, because yeah. I like Svelte. It's a cool language. But I'm just so into this, like, no-build tooling now that I'm like, no, nah, I'm, not, I'm not going back. If you were to say, oh, hey, you can write Svelte. Um, yeah, locally, you might have to, like, run, like, some sort of server. That's fine, whatever. But, like, in production, nah, you don't need to worry about any of that. You don't mm. need to set that server up. You just ship it to our, our servers. They have the compiler built in and the compilation's done just in time. You know, I'd be like, well, yeah, sweet. Like, sign me up. I'm interested yeah. to see how moving control away from the developer as well. See that there, you lose control. Um, mm. Do you know how Dino, if Dino has like a lot of, I guess, finding it control over that like cloud build process? So this is, yeah, this is, I should preface this by saying like, this is just Dino Deploy. Mm. And it's like, they're just doing that for fresh. If you want to like host fresh on your own, you are running like compilers and servers and you yep. are setting that stuff up manually. Uh, the deploy platform as it stands right now, um, from what I've experienced of it, it's quite simple and it's quite yeah, okay. limited. Um, so no, you're not getting that. You, are, that you are, yeah, you are buying into like, the way like, highway. like that's yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. You're like, you're, you're buying into like, we're making it easier for you by giving you no control. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, and like, like, you know, do, do with that what you will, yeah. you know, you might like it, you might hate it. Um, and, and that's fine either way. What? I think I want to see more of as the option, you know, yes, like yeah, having, yeah. having providers, pr providers dedicated to particular frameworks and stuff. Like I said, um, I think I was talking to you about it privately. I wouldn't be surprised if Netlify in some way or another uh, became quite entangled with Astro. I feel like Astro fits a lot of the Netlify core values um, and they've obviously got quite a close working relationship. You know, like like imagine you had Netlify, like Astro com just-in-time compiler views, you know, mm, yeah. and you could just push your Astro site up there and it was, it was smart enough to do that. I think we're a long way away from that, but seeing providers that have tooling dedicated to a particular tool or a particular framework and they make and they they still do all the other things you can still host a static site on dino deploy you know oh, okay. and like you can still do do all of those things that you would do mm -hmm. it's just they have like as like the little extra bit on top they're like they're like yep we support all the other stuff but we we have specialized support for this thing mm -hmm. you know and we make it really really easy to do this thing i'd love to live in a world where we saw it like you know, Vercel would do next, Netlify potentially do Astro, Svelte would have some platform that would do Svelte Kit, you know, and you'd you'd be able to just move more and more of the overhead yeah. away, you know, to set to, 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 to you'd be able to abstract it away to them. Yes. Yeah. 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 That'd be amazing. I know that was it's one of the things I hate the most about starting new projects in general is having to think about deployments, which is why I pretty much exclusively use Netlify for side projects. And yeah, yeah being able yeah. to shift that extra seven bills to would be insane. Fingers exactly. If I do Honestly, that. I like made the project, put it on GitHub, click three buttons, and it was live. And I was just like, wow, yeah, this is it's, exactly what I want. It's yeah, it's so nice. Cool. The last thing today, because we're, we're sort of coming up at time, I just wanted to really quickly touch on, uh, so yeah, to, to be clear, to make a prediction for that, I, I don't think we're going to see that this year, but I'm hoping we talk more about it and maybe see some more platforms buy in to a specific tool um, mm -hmm. while supporting sort of all the other ones. The thing, the last thing I want to talk about, and I want to get your opinion on this, is 
we've with the, the industry is just as a whole for some reason moving towards monorepos i'm a huge monorepo advocate you know that uh with my current employer i'm advocate well i'm advocating for them partially there are particular parts of the project that would make sense to be consolidated uh we're seeing some real innovation in this space uh, obviously we've got turbo repo which has been great uh, i've used rush i've used nx yeah i, I think it's it's a space where a lot of innovation is happening a lot of people are moving towards it sort of what are your thoughts do you think we're going to see more do you think we've overcorrected and we're going to see it drop off one thing that i've been thinking about off the back of the conversation we just had i think monorepos conflict with exactly the direction we were just talking about like mm -hmm. moving all your deployment and potentially build pipeline control to SaaS provider would mean that something like a monorepo would be insanely difficult for them to support because you'd have to then be able to configure, say, you have 10 uh, you know, individual packages in your monorepo. You'd have to support 10 different build processes and or um, deployments for each of those, which I know, you know, um, when you and I have worked together, we've struggled to kind of have a nice resolution for monorepo deployments of packages without deploying everything at once. And, you know, we've had discussions and looked into that stuff and didn't really find anything that looked too easy. Yeah. To use. Um, so, yeah, I'm odd. really glad you brought that up because that's actually why it made it onto the list. Um, when I started the, this this project I've been working on, I started it as a monorepo and then very quickly aborted because I was like, actually, um, because, yeah, so this is essentially like it's a static site on Dino Deploy and I've got this API layer using Pocket Pace. Mm -hmm. um, and very quickly I aborted um, for, for a number of reasons. Um, part of them was I actually didn't need anything for Pocket Pace because it just sort of runs. Mm -hmm. um, but straight away I was like, well, actually, this monorepo architecture just doesn't. It's not that I couldn't make it work. It's that it did not complement it. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it added all this additional overheads. I was like, actually, I don't want this. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, there are instances where I still like them, but I've also, it's it's the typical, like, developer lifecycle, right? I've they've sort of almost become my de facto, like, oh, yeah, like, I want to, I have this project that has multiple parts, you know, it has an API layer, it has a UI library layer, there's an isomorphic portion of the functionality that I want to abstract away. So I'll put it in a monorepo. Uh, so it's sort of become my de facto, but yeah, like I started with that, with this, and then straight away I was like, actually, no, this doesn't work, this doesn't mm. complement it. And I was almost, I almost found myself relieved to not be using a monorepo and not have that overhead. And I was just like, where am I going with this? You know, like, do, do I like, do I actually like monorepos? Yeah, like, I, I totally get it as well. There's almost like a, like a sense of, it might be a good thing, it might be a bad thing of needing to actually think and plan out before you commit to this monorepo because it makes you ask the question, do I, do I need it? Because you know, yeah. so many times you'll be like, yeah, I'm definitely going to need this, 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 this. That's fit for monorepo. You set it up, you set up the painful build process. Um, and you Because know, it is painful. It is, it is. Yeah, it's always painful. Yeah. But it's the whole you do it once if then for the rest yeah. of the life cycle. And then, you know, a year on the future, you realize you made one package in that monorepo. It's like, oh God, like I just, um, it's over-engineering, right? Before um, you actually have, have anything. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, so I think that's, uh, I, I, honestly, if I was going to make a prediction, I actually think, I think the tooling is going to continue to get better. Because I feel like we're like, as as an industry we're brought in, we are using them in a lot of places. Yeah. And I think we're seeing a lot of innovation in the tooling. What I am hoping to see, and what I think we might see, is much like GraphQL, you know, like when GraphQL came out, everybody did it. Yeah. And then there was sort of this like pullback when we were like, actually, GraphQL is a really great tool for these use cases. Yeah. But not every use case. Yes. I think we might see that with monorepos. I think we might see the industry actually sort of flip back and people start going like, your monorepos are great when you need a monorepo. Yes, yeah. But the rest of the time, like, don't add overhead where you don't need it. Yeah, and because th thinking about the main, I guess, pain points that monorepos solved would have been, what, deployments and build? Which, yeah, I, mean, I feel like, I feel like that, that was a big part of it. And I guess, I like, also keeping all the code in the same, you know, and you're in the same ID was really nice or just having it all in the same repository and being able to not have to, you know, commit across three or four repos. Exactly. Like, and I think a big, a big part of that can be attributed to like isomorphic JavaScript. Mm. Like when we started writing JavaScript everywhere, it was just really nice to have it in like one IDE window, Yeah, you know, and like you could jump between like API endpoints and, you know, like views and you just like, you just, 
you had the entirety of the context in your IDA sort of in your head. There were even like instances where like, you know, like you could basically inform your IDA, like where like these server types were relative to these yeah. like view types and you could infer those. And we have tools like TRPC and stuff now that are doing that. Mm. Um, but yeah, we have, we have tools now that are like solving that problem anyway, you know, and like you don't necessarily have to have things in a mono repo to sort of get those benefits, I guess. Yeah. And like thinking about, um, let's say, you know, in a year's year or two's time when these kind of processes, mm. um, uh, let's say they're, they're, you know, mainstream, widely used by everyone. I don't really see any any pro from one Reaper other than the fact that you can bundle if you if you happen to be making multiple changes across different parts of your stack, like a the server, mm. the front end, and then I don't know some middleman isomorphic package. Um, then call you can bundle them all in one commit as a I guess a process or even a architectural standard for your code, that might not even be a good thing to be doing. So mm. at that point, if your team wants to that, or if you know you've set up in a way when you don't need to do that, I can't think of any way, uh, any reason why you would want to use a mono repo over just a bunch of you know smaller repos, yeah. um, yep. all going to these um, buildless, you know, deploymentless uh, services. Yeah, and I think I think what are you too, yeah. like? The, like the argument from one repos gets less and less relevant in particular in like the javascript ecosystem with things like the next.js api folder you know mm. which are like deployed to like cloud functions yeah. and like all the tools have yeah. those now you know like your api kind of like exists in like the static sense in your code but like it's only ever really working when it's deployed to the cloud and Man, you know there's something about yeah. like like having uh i just i don't know i might just be because i learned it one way and i hate it the other way but the idea of having like your api nested in your client like i don't like, like it oh. either i'm so glad you said that because yeah. <laughs> i feel because people love it um and I, yeah, it's I it. like i there like i get it there are like so many quality of life things you get as a byproduct of it but i don't like it i, like, I, I feel like uh one well, the whole the quality of life things they're they're nice but they're so easily abusable if you're not mm. paying attention like very easily yeah. a quality of life feature can become a this really hacky way that you're doing something that you're clutching on but just because uh it was easy to do it this way right now. Yeah. And like, I know that you and I have said that in the past, like when we've been responsible for architecture yes. projects, like if you give developers a way to abuse it, they will abuse yeah. it. And like, it's, it's really weird. You, when you mentioned earlier, you're mentioning, um, I think his name's Theo, the ping guy. Yeah. Theo Brown. Yep. Yeah. Um, I watched a few of his videos. I think you've sent me actually, him talking about top. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of his, like yeah, don't, yeah. don't get me wrong. Yeah. I really like him. Yeah. yeah. And um, um, there's the, you said he was talking about the whole idea of like, he didn't like moving to Rust, right? Because he thought it wasn't quick for startup. Mm. And mm. that is, I, I totally agree that, you know, it makes a lot of sense. But I think if we were in, if we had a startup and we were in his position, I think what we'd be super worried about would be this idea that very quickly your prototype turns into V1. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, and, you know, and we've, we've been burnt exactly. yeah, multiple you, times. You, you, you yeah. tell investors that, oh, no way, we have to rebuild this for a year because, you know, this is just a prototype that doesn't fly. So sometimes, you know, it's better just not let them know that, hey, this Rust thing, we could do it quicker, but we're actually future proofing ourselves as developers. Yeah. Yeah. And I, there's, I think there's like a whole conversation there. And I'd really like to have, um, I'd like to have another conversation about that because I'd, I'd like to wrap this one up. Yeah. But like, uh, like, uh, a what like almost like a what things are important based on where you are in yes. your startup's journey yeah you know because like you like like a a 10-man startup does not have the same drivers as like a thousand strong employee you know like mature company like they have completely different drivers and yeah and, and even like from uh, not not even just how many employees you have the culture at your startup um, mm. you know, I, I think we've been stung by a lot of the whole, you know, speed is the only thing that matters. Um, mm. whereas it, I know there's a lot of other startups, mine, for example, that I currently work at is very, very, very focused on the opposite of quality. It does not matter if it takes, you know, three times as long. They, they want it done once. Right. Mm. Yeah. No, I think that's a really, really good point. Mm. Yeah. And I, and again, I, I don't want to not talk about that. I want to talk about, I want to give that it's, it's yeah. whole own episode. Yeah, it definitely you know? needs a total on thing. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's a really nice place to wrap up. Sweet. And yeah, thank you for coming on today. Thanks um, for having me. 
Yep. Uh, we'll definitely have you back in the future. Hell yeah. Awesome. Thanks, man. Cool. Awesome. All right. Catch you later. Yes. Catch you. You've been listening to Runtime FM. Look, things in tech and web development move, to say the least, fast. On this show, we keep you up to date with a blazing speed of tech. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit the website at runtime.fm. See you next time.